Today we're looking at a story. Now I want you to know we're going to be looking at this later in the year. Later in the year we're going to do a series um, through the first six or seven chapters of the book of Daniel. And so today we're going to focus in on chapter three and one particular aspect of chapter three. So know this, we're going to hit it far more in detail in the future. But today at looking at this story that is many uh, understand it, many know it, those who would not claim to have faith are familiar with even uh, some of the, the specifics of this particular story. There's three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, I won't give you all the background. Again, we'll hit this later, but, uh, but these are three guys that are in what's called exile. They've been uh, taken away the, so that the nation is no longer, and they've been uh, taken away. And so now Babylon has come in. They have taken over the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was, was taken over by Assyria long before this, but the southern kingdom, Judah, has now been taken over. And, uh, and these guys are in, um, uh, they're, they're in bad shape, the, the, the nation no longer. So they find some of the brightest and the best, and they bring them uh, in here. They're going to train them into the ways of all things Babylon. And then there's this king named Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar initially is going to have um, a, a bit of an ego trip. Now the Lord is going to humble him as the story goes on. But where he is right now is he wants things done his way and his timing for his good purposes. So you've got these three guys, these young, young guys that are now going to have to make a choice. Here's the problem. In the day and age in which they were living in, similar to the day and age in which we are living in, when you come underneath the reign and rule of some other authority that does not have God primarily in mind, the question can go through your mind. What happens if I remain faithful to God? What will happen to me if I remain faithful to God? Now, you may never struggle with this. I do. That at times when I cannot see or feel him, it is difficult to believe that God is with me. When I can't see him, and by that I don't mean literally, visibly, I have never seen, uh, I haven't had a vision of God. You may have, I, I don't know, I, I've never seen that. Um, I wasn't Moses put into a cleft of a rock and God passed by, I got to see his back and face glowed and all that. I haven't seen him. But when I say I haven't seen him, just sometimes where do you see evidence of his work? Sometimes when you don't see where it is that he's working, it's hard to believe that his presence is with us. Sometimes when I don't feel that he is working. I may not be able to see it, but I just get this sense in my gut that God is working. He is doing. He is changing. He is molding. He is shaping. I have faith that it's going to happen over the long haul, not necessarily in the moment. So sometimes when I don't even feel as though he's moving, it's really hard to believe that God is actually with me. And yet the words of Jesus both comfort and haunt me. And his words are this, hey, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the reason they comfort me is because I know he said them and he's not a liar and so they must be true. But the reason they haunt me is because I wonder, does this then mean that I'm not one of his? I can believe it for others. At times, it's hard to believe it for myself, especially 
when those that I love and value the most are going through the most difficult times. When I see those that I love and cherish, and when they can't see or feel God, that's when it's the hardest. You may be wired the same way. On a, on a personal level, I can handle almost anything. And just leave those that I love them, leave them alone. When I can't see or feel them, it's hard to trust that God is with us. Here's the truth, though. God's children, this is important, God's children can trust that God is always with us. Why? Because he promised it. And whether I see it or feel it has nothing to do with his actual presence. Now, Daniel, chapter 3, this uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I did not put all of the verses up there, but I think it may be prudent for me to read. You won't see all of this on the screen because I didn't send all the verses in. That was my fault for, uh, uh, for not doing that. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. You got the big. It's, you can't miss this thing. It's large. Okay, He has it constructed. Now, I have no idea how much it costs to construct this thing. There's some, uh, some, some expensive parts of it that, that are made, uh, but it's, it's huge. Everybody can see it. Nobody can see the real God. Then he sent messages to the princes and prefects and governors and advisors. And all over, he sends out this message that says, everybody's got to come and everybody's got to worship. So now get over to... Verse 4, the herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, great instrument, lyre, harp, pipes, and other instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into the fiery furnace. Everybody, you can see how massive this thing is, and so everybody... By order of the king, when you hear all these really great instruments, come and bow down. And if you don't, no big deal. You're just going to die. It should be a relatively quick death, though. In a furnace. You'll burn for a little bit. It'll hurt. But you're going to go. How about you? Is it not great to live in the country that we live in? I see a lot of red, white, and blue. That's perfectly appropriate. I don't get a sense that anybody's worshiping America more than they worship God here. It's just great to be in a country where I, this ain't happening. Nobody's coming in here and saying, hey, I'm going to make a statue. And, uh, and all you, I know you've got this other God, you know, that you're, but you need to bow down to this statue. And if you don't, no big deal. We're just going to throw you into a furnace. What would you have done? Now, these folks that are here, they're, they're teenagers. And so they hear what's supposed to happen, and their response to it is exactly what you would hope that it would be in verse 8. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. Go down to verse 12. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge in the province of Babylon, and they pay no attention to you, your majesty, going to the person who's in charge, questioning his leadership capacity and ability. Hey, these folks that are under you, the ones that you put in charge, 
They don't listen to you. They're making a mockery of you. They're not bowing down to your statue. Now, why were they not bowing down? It's going to become very clear here in just a moment. Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought back before him. And when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? I don't know what the modern day equivalent is, but when I was a kid, I just remember growing up, my great fear growing up was that Russia was going to take over the world. Okay, now I was born in 1970, but I consider the 80s that era that I grew up in, the greatest era in human history, the 1980s. It, the haircuts alone are worth being called the greatest era in human history. And when I was a kid, it was Russia, Russia, the Soviets, this Reagan later would call them the evil empire. I just remember actually being fearful that this might occur. Now, it didn't dominate my days, you know, uh, other things like wiffle ball and stuff like that dominated my days. But I remember thinking, I don't know what the modern day equivalent is, but there was this power that I just did not know if they were going to be beat. And then the 1980 Winter Olympics happened. And we beat them in hockey. Their greatest sport. And if we can beat them in hockey, we can beat them in anything. That was the mind of a nine-year-old. What God is going to be able to save you? I don't know what it is that you have been faced. I don't know if you have something currently right now that's been put in, in front of you. And it looks as though there is no way out. I don't know if you have some addiction that the evil one has in mind to destroy you and your family. I don't know if there's a series of lies that you have wrapped yourself in that you can't get out of. I don't know if your marriage is so bad that you can't even sit together on a Sunday morning without disdain rising up in front of you. I don't know what is in front of you. But you may be asking the question, what God will be able to save us from this impending destruction? Well, if you've got Nebuchadnezzar's view, which is about 90 feet high, and that's as high as you can possibly get, then there might not be a God that can save you. But if you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and if you've been used to looking for a God that you can't see, if you've been looking, used to praying to a God that you can't feel, you know. You know this statue is worthless. But your God is worthy. So one last chance, dudes. You giving in? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve 
is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power. Notice they didn't say he will spare our lives. He will rescue us from your power. He might rescue us through death, but he'll rescue us from your power. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Ah, is there a parent in the room that isn't right now saying, God, make this true of my kids? And your kids may be four or they may be 44. But there's not a parent in this room that's not saying, God, make this true of my kids. No matter what, we will not bow down to a worthless, impotent God with the little G. Because the all-wise, all-powerful, all-worthy God may choose to bring me home and assure me of his presence by opening my eyes for all of eternity. So no, I will not bow down. No matter what lies before me, I will not bow down. Now, I happen to think that it helped that there was not just one person saying this. They didn't have to stand alone. But you do realize these are teenagers. They stand together. They refuse to do it. Exactly what you think will happen. Nebuchadnezzar then throws them in his anger and rage, throws them into the furnace and orders that the furnace be made even hotter. Not quite sure how you do that. Those of you that are engineers probably have an idea. I just know it gets hotter. It gets so hot that the people around there are affected by it. Now, last verse to look at for our context this morning. Go down with me to verse 25. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see Four men unbound walking in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Hey, didn't we throw three of them in there bound up? Yep. Well, what I'm seeing is it looks like there's four. Not three, but four, and none of them are bound up. Anybody got an explanation? First of all, they're walking around. Not sure how that's happening. I cannot promise you from this passage right here, I cannot tell you that what God is saying to all of us this morning through the book of Daniel is that he is going to rescue you and you will not have to suffer here on the earth. I cannot promise that. Daniel's not trying to get that across. What he's trying to say in this particular story, in time and space, God chose to intervene in such a miraculous way that the pagans around had to acknowledge that God was real. What I can promise you from this passage, because the principle is all throughout the scriptures, is this. Even when you can't see him or feel him, he is with you if you are his child. Child of God, he will always be with you. 
How do we know that? Again, we said it earlier, because Jesus said, I will always, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The question is this. Do you believe it? Do you believe it to such a degree that you are willing to interact with God as if what he says about himself is true? Oh, it's hard. It is absolutely hard when we can't see or feel God to trust that he is with us, to believe that he is with us. But oh, today, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have no hope in your ability whatsoever to keep the law and make yourself right with God, if you have placed all of your hope solely in the person of Jesus to make you right, that he alone is the one who lived the life that we should have lived but could not live. He died the death that we should have died but now don't have to die and that he was raised again from the dead and that his power can now begin. If all of your hope is in the person of Jesus, he is with you. Whether you see him or feel him, he's with you. He's with you when the fireworks are going off later on this afternoon. He's with you, hopefully, when you're shoving ribs into your mouth later on today. He's with you as you're fearful about making your way off to college this fall. He's with you when you go to the beach for the first time without one of your kids. He's with you when you're the dead heat of an argument with mom or dad or sibling or spouse. He is with you when your business fails. He is with you no matter. He is with you. Heavenly Father, I pray today that you would convince us um, through this story. Yes, Lord, but would you help us to believe um, that because of your son, Jesus, uh, you really are with us. And so God, today uh, we thank you um, for all that you already have done in our lives up to this point, and we ask that you would now um, uh, use us in great and mighty ways. Uh, Lord, in this particular week, would you help us to help others even see this very truth right here, that even when we can't see or feel you, um, you are with us. We love you. We are grateful for you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.